If you were on your deathbed, would you say the same thing? He goes, can't you see the danger? And I said, oh, I can only see the money. You had who you, yeah. who was who of the underworld yeah. there. You know what I mean? Tony was there and Tony's brothers were there and, you know, Benjamin, Benjamin was there and you name it, they were there. But he was a mad Richmond supporter, mad drunk, uh, mad fighter. Everything a Richmond supporter would be. I see. I'm Andrew Rule. This is Life and Crimes. Once again, we're back with our old friend, Jock, who has ridden in races around the world and knocked around with some very colourful people. You might notice a little bit of editing and beeping going on because sometimes when Jock tells stories, he uses the language of the stables, the public bar and the nightclub. Thanks. Now, Jock, uh, last time we talked mostly about racing, but this time I think we're going to talk about some colourful characters, some you've met, some you're related to. Jock, what are some of the things that have been going through your mind as you've been reading your journal? I'm most impressed that you keep a journal. I think it's a very good thing. Is that on legal advice or anything like that? Not something one of your lawyers suggested? <laughs> yeah, well, I was told if you keep a journal that no one can d- debate what you've said and what time you've said. Right. Because um, a few times I've had a few people say, I didn't say that, and then I'd go back to my journal and say, hang on a minute, on this day at this time, yeah. you said these words because I've got, got it written down. But I've been keeping a journal since I was about oh, I don't know, eight years old. So Really? Always keep a diary. And what, what started you on that habit? That wouldn't be overly common uh, with eight-year-olds, let alone an active, uh, feisty, knockabout little kid the way you probably were. What made you start? First of all, I was told to write down my goals. Right. What goals do I want to have? And I was told by writing them down, if they're written down on paper, right, they'll materialise into, they'll happen. You know what I mean? If you, if it happens in your mind, it'll you'll hold it in your hand. When I seen the Grand National um, in 1977, I was nine actually, I wrote what I wanted to do and I wanted to go to England riding the Grand National. Had no idea how I was going to do it. No I hadn't even rode, you know, a racehorse by then. So I just jumped on a couple of ponies. Had no idea how I was going to – I wanted to play football for Richmond. Had no idea how I was going to do it, but I wrote it down in my journal and that's how the story started from there. Were you a good footballer? Pretty average. I was always – put it this way, I was always at the bottom of the pack. So You were you were game? I thought I was all right. I was first at training and last to leave every day. Um, I think there was a few people better than me, but um, I, I had a go. Yeah. Uh, any other sports that you played? Sports, cricket, yeah, just the normal stuff, cricket, football, you know, yeah. stuff yeah. like that. Well, these days, kids are not out on their bikes or skateboards anymore. They're all inside on computers. But in our day, we were always out, out doing something. That's a, that's a good point. And Brobrick's a pretty, back in the 70s, it was a pretty sort of knock-around place, and you grew up pretty quick on the streets of Brobrick. Did you? Like, well, I knew how to hotwire a car when I was 13. Who showed you how to hotwire a car and what did you do with that knowledge? My uncle, Les, he used to work at the docks. He's the one that just ended up dead for who knows why. You know a bit about him. Tell us about your uncle. Uncle Les was a real knock-around bloke. He used to work on the docks. He was mum's older brother. Yeah. And see, all the kids, to earn a, earn a quid around Braybrook, we just had to steal and... 
And it was just, you know, we weren't going in and robbing old women at gunpoint or anything like that. We still, well, first of all, we'd still lead it from around chimneys and then we'd go to copper at the railway stations and then we'd go down to a metal, scrap metal place on Ballot Road called Sims Metals. Yep. And we used to go down there with all this scrap metal that we used to knock off and the bloke back in there in the 70s, he'd give it, give it either cash or a check. Yeah. And I always used to say, give me a check because I'd give it to my Uncle Les who would sit on the check for a couple of months and then he would alter the check. Yeah. The only thing that was left was the signature. Everything else was altered. So he'd get a check for $90 and he'd turn it into 900 or 700 Oh, I see. And I used to say to him, well, they'll, go, well, they'll find out. And he'd say, oh, well, when the bloke finds out, we'll deal him in. But they never did because they were giving out hundreds of checks over the years and we had to have runners and we had to have clothes and stuff like that. So it was just a, a way to, you know, subsidise uh, our income because we weren't on very much. We are only battlers. Only battlers? Uncle Les was a little bit of a forger among his other skills. He, Uncle Les was everything. Um, arm robber, forger, um, you name it, he was into it. Really? What sort of arm robberies? Sims Supermarket in, is it Barclay? could have been Barclay Street. What's great, it was robbed once and then the night it was robbed, I remember going to the caravan that he had in mum and dad's place and seeing all these bundles of money. So it weren't hard to put two and two together. Oh, I see. He was a pretty notorious bloke. Was he? Um, in, as I said, he died mysteriously. But what sort of uncle was he to you? Uh, did he, what was he like? Oh, he's great. Fantastic. Always just, always just take me to the football. Did he? Mad Richmond supporter, like all my family. Was he? He was a big, big boy. He was a big, yeah, he used to drink like, you know, a dozen bottles a night and he was a mad, mad drunk. But I mean, he really looked after, looked after the kids great, took us to the football, took us to the show. Did he? But he was a really, really he was he was a really good crook. But someone that had a lot of um, character about him too. You know what I mean? Um, he's a, he was an, a, a larrikin, a real Aussie larrikin that you would really get to like him as a bloke. Uh, so a good storyteller, mm, great storyteller. But some of the things he used to tell me. Could Uncle Les hold his hands up, as they say in the trade? Yeah, he, oh yeah, he was he, he was a big bloke and he, he could fight you. So a, a lot of people were very scared of him, terrified of him. He was your mother's older and brother. Because I was a kid, I was only I was only I was only I was only like you know nine, ten, eleven. I mean, I hadn't heard of the painters and dockers or anything like that until I got much older when I started watching the shows and all yeah. that. Um, yeah, they were a bad lot. They were. Um, you know all about them? I do know, and he was mixed up with the dockies. He was a member. Yeah, well, yeah, he was running one of the crews down there. What was that racket they used to, they used to Go- do down there? Ghosting. ghosting. Where they'd put down someone from working and the blokes weren't even there and they'd collect their pay- paychecks. Uh, and he lived in a caravan at your house? Yeah. Well, he lived from he lived from place to place, you know what I mean? Um, mainly around Footscray, mum and dad's, stuff like that. He had, like, you know, he had three or four different girlfriends. And, but he was a mad Richmond supporter, mad drunk, uh, mad fighter. Everything a Richmond supporter would be. I see. Well, you've said that he came to a mysterious end. Why do you believe that? He, he didn't die in bed. He didn't die in church. What happened? I, I don't know. All I knew that um, one minute he was there and next minute they said he died of a heart attack or, or something like that. And I'm thinking, well, Michael Lizza hasn't got much of a heart. <laughs> um, so I don't believe that. And every time I've, I've dug and dug and dug for answers, um, I just get told the same way. Oh, he died in a mysterious way. I mean, later on, mum, 
his mum was his youngest sister. Mum told me that he died in very, very controversial circumstances. Yeah, but who who knows? He was mixed up with some pretty pretty bad people. Was he? Well, they're not bad people. I mean, I didn't know if they were bad or not, but they were pretty heavy people, put it that way. And did you know any of those? Oh, Bill Longley and them. I knew of them, but they didn't. So I knew them right. personally to go up and yep. say, oh, you know, how you going, Bill? How are they hanging? Sort of thing. <laughs> but he knew them. He knew all them bikes. We used to go drinking with him, so. So he was a, Uncle Les is quite a big heavy fellow. Where did the jockey genes come from for size, you and, and your brother? They come from the old man's side. Oh, I see, I see. And um, where were the, on mum's side, where were they from? Where, Richmond. No, Richmond, that's that's why they barricaded. No, the Rich, Richmond through and through. Yeah, yeah Richmond through and, and did through. He- Hated Collingwood. Um uh, real, real Richmond diehard Richmond supporters. And he took you to the footy most weeks. Yeah, football, the cricket. Yeah, I remember. And like, you know, no one back then in the seventies and that Bay Thirteen and all that, we used to get pretty violent. Um, but if I was on you, I was, when I if I was with Uncle Les, I had nothing to worry about. Right. <laughs> My name is Manny Carudis, and I'm a former New South Wales policeman turned investigative reporter with a passion for missing persons cases. I'm here to quickly tell you about our True Crime Australia podcast, The Missing. In this series, I look at old missing persons cases which have all gone cold in an attempt to try and uncover new information which could help see these missing people reunited with their loved ones or any form of clue that could bring these families closure. The Missing is available now wherever you get your podcasts and early and ad-free on Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts. Okay. Someone in like Bay 13 back in the 70s and that, that, that was pretty rough. And some of them pubs around Richmond and that after the, after a game would get pretty violent. Um, but I knew that if we're with him, we we're, were fine. I'm just going to jump from those days to a topic that a lot of people talk about lately, and that is Lawyer X. Lawyer X, of course, is Nicola Gobbo, yep. and we, we all know about her now. Yep. Back when you were uh, riding, did you ever see um, Lawyer X? Yeah, I, I seen last time I seen her was at Carl. What's the name? His uh, thing for his daughter at Crown, um, the christening. Williams. Yeah. And what? While well, you were you were there, you were a guest of honour. I was at, I was there with my girlfriend, and um, I said to her, I said, you know, we're getting photographed, don't you? And she said, who by who? I said, all these waiters and all that, they're probably all ex jacks. Yeah. They're probably you know they're probably coppers. I mean because I mean you had who you, yeah. who was who of the underworld yeah. there? You know what I mean? Tony was there, and Tony's brothers were there, and. The, the, the Mockbell brothers? You know, Benjamin Benjamin was there and you name it, they were there. Mm. What yeah. uh, sort of an occasion was that? Was it your idea of a christening or what did you think of it? Talk about keeping, a, you know, a low profile. That was just rubbing it in the coppers' faces basically because that would have cost, I don't know how much, it would have cost 30 grand because they had Vanessa Amorosa and, and she wouldn't have come with a cheap price and tag. Marty Fields? It was a crown. The food there was amazing. Food was good. Marty Fields was uh, a very good MC and told lots of funny stories and jokes. Yeah, yeah, he was great. And it was who's who, who's who of the Melbourne underworld. Seriously, and it was a, it was brilliant. If you're a, a, a copper wanting to get um, intel, um, what did you think of uh, lawyer X Nicola Gobbo grabbing the microphone and standing up and doing her little turn? How was she? Was she affected by the champagne or? Well, <laughs> For her to be a, um, a you know, a defence uh, mm. lawyer, 
Um, it was bizarre. Talk about client privileges. I mean, she overstepped the mark big time. And then when I found out that she was playing both sides, well, that means Tony and I are going to walk, aren't they? It could, well, we're not sure yet, but some people have walked, as you know, and some people will walk. Yeah. It's just a matter of how many and when, probably. She's, she's supposed to be, you know, they're, but they're embarrassed. They're giving them legal advice. So, yeah, yeah. don't think that she's, um, and I know you don't, but uh, don't think that she's squeaky clean and I'm surprised she got a, a licence to practice. But did you think these things back then? When you saw her at events like this, did it make you raise your eyebrows or what? Mate, yeah, of course it would. Yeah, of course it would make anyone raise their eyebrows because you, you, don't forget, your, your lawyers, basically if, you, if you've got a good lawyer or barrister, they're telling you not to get involved in any of that stuff. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? They're telling you don't mix with organised crime people. Don't don't go. Don't get involved with any of that stuff. Keep clear of that stuff. That's that's what they're advising you. But here you got someone who's your barrister, um, getting involved with it with you. So not not great. So um, it was very 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 controversial. I mean, I'm not a barrister, right? But it looked very odd to me. You know, I just hung around basically Carl, Tony, Tony's brothers. Um, and I have a couple of the guys, so, you know, I had a career, um, so I sort of couldn't be, even though you got looked after, like, really, really good, um, you know, I had to, I had to sort of be a little bit careful. I mean, certainly once once, once the body started um, piling up, because I was still with her at that time, she got very concerned. Uh, the, the mock bells were mm. a bit inclined to uh, take, Jockeys out for big nights to the clubs. I, we we did discuss this on another occasion, but oh yeah, all right. if ever you went out with if ever you went out with Tony, you got he fed everyone. Tony was great. You wouldn't even have to put your hand in your pocket. Tony was always he's always pulling out wads of money, looking after you. Some nights after the races on on a Saturday, would there be half a dozen uh, metropolitan jockeys there? Oh yeah, to be jockeys, trotting drivers, uh, stable hands, uh, uh, trainers, you know, because we'd all go out and it'd be like fifteen of us at um, sitting down to have dinner. And um, I, I knew one time when I took Simon Mills out, he's another jump shocky mate of mine. And when Tony started ordering, because he started ordering the best crayfish, just said he goes, Simon's for all. We all had to put in put in uh, a, a quid each. He goes, oh, I'm I'm staying out of this. I can't afford this, and I said, "Mate, put your hand, put your hand back in your pocket." I mean, Tony will pay for everything, <laughs> so yeah, in, including the night, including the, the strippers and the hookers, including everything. I see. So that was the life, and I, I think you did tell us one time that um, one of the young jockeys had turned up on one of these occasions, not really knowing what it was about. It might have been Patrick Payne, for instance. And what what did he say at the? He said. He goes, I don't know about this bloke. He seems a bit dangerous for me to get involved with. And um, he goes, can't you see the danger? And I said, oh, I can only see the money. I'd say. And he goes, yeah, mate. He looked the bloke's a lovely bloke. He's looked after me. I mean, because Paddy ate the food. But at the end of the night, Paddy said, I probably can't really get involved with this bloke. Yeah, he's too dangerous for me. He's a good bloke. Don't don't get me wrong. He's a lovely bloke, right? Uh, tell him I said, I said he's a lovely bloke, but he's a... A bit too dangerous for me. Did you get on well with the other Mockbell brothers, Haughty and um, Malad? Yeah, yeah, they looked, they were all great blokes, yeah. 
yeah, Malad, Malad, terrific. I like Malad a lot. Hordy, Hordy's another great guy. I had you know, never had a problem with him. And Paul Sequencia, Paul Sequencia, I rode was. See, my first uh, flat winner in town was a horse called Domburn in about 1985. And Paul Sequencia was training, was Greg Mance's foreman. So uh, he got me on Domburn. So he was was responsible for my first flat winner. Was he? He was Greg Mance's foreman. And you don't hear much about Paul Sequencia, but Paul Sequencia was very um, heavily involved with – with those blokes, uh, because Mark Moran married Paul Sequencia's sister. I see, and he was involved in in the harness mm. world as well, wasn't he? Yeah, and I know, I've known Paul Sequencia for years. I haven't seen him for a long time, but I, I've known Paul Sequencia since I was like, yeah, you know, since I was twelve, thirteen oh, years right. old. Um, but yeah, he's he when Mark Mark Moran was shot. Um, I was actually a couple of doors up, uh, staying at Vinnie Mills's place. Simon's dad, yeah, and um, and yeah. Well, Paul Paul's sister was married to Mark Moran. Okay, did you you were staying near there, over at? Um... I was two doors Is up that from a fact? it. Did you hear the shots? No, I saw. I, I told him I'd taken some sleeping pills. I was asleep, and actually, when I come back from track work that that morning, so I was running work for Hayes. There was all these cameras and, and that's still there at about 7 o'clock in the morning and they pulled me up and they said, oh, did you hear or see anything? I said, mate, I've seen nothing. And is that, um, God forbid that you will ever die, but if you were on your deathbed, would you say the same thing? That you saw nothing or nothing? Um, yeah, probably. Okay. That's the only question I had for you. Jock, you still think you saw nothing and heard nothing. Fair enough too. Well, on that on that mm, happy I note, um, unless you've got a mm. postscript, an extra thought you'd like to. This is a program for the general public. We can't sort of. We'll have to have an Andrew Rule jock after dark. We will segment. in the plane wrapper. <laughs> yeah. All right, mate. Thanks for listening. Please comment or rate it on whatever platform you're using, and if you haven't done it already, please subscribe. Access a world of true crime podcasts on CrimeX Plus, where award-winning journalists take a deep dive into unsolved cases. Every week, we're waking up to a dead woman, a dead mother, sister, auntie, grandmother. It's not good enough. From the team that brought you The Teacher's Pet, Shadow of Doubt, and Dying Rose, unlock early, ad-free, and bonus content from brand new series and flagship shows such as I Catch Killers with Gary Jubilin. One was shot in the mouth, and I thought he was dead. Another one been shot with a shotgun and I got the overspray. Search for Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts to start digging deep into the world of true crime.